Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. John 16. I'll start at verse 20, going down to verse 27. I'll remind you that chapters 13 through 17, all of them are a record of what Jesus said that one evening. And uh, we're, we're coming up shortly on chapter 17, which I can hardly wait to get to. It's the, what's called the high priestly prayer. It's where Jesus intercedes for us all uh, and mentions us all in it. And they mercifully, John recorded it. Uh, so this is his prayer for you. And wow, what a, what a prayer it is. But we're coming now to the very last comments that Jesus is making to his disciples. Where are we? We're, we're somewhere on the east side of Jerusalem. We're out, I think, under the full moon of a Passover night. Uh, he has left the upper room. He did that at the end of the last chapter. Uh, and so he's out in the moonlight somewhere walking toward the Mount of Olives, which is there on the east side of, of Jerusalem, just across the Kidron Valley from the temple. You see the pictures of it all the time. You're looking right over the Kidron Valley when you see those pictures of the temple, almost always when you get those pictures. So he's walking that direction somehow, and he's talking to them, and he's just given them the most blunt discussion of the suffering they're about to endure. He says, they're going to they're gonna beat you. They're going to kill some of you. Uh, this, you are really going to be persecuted. And then very shortly, he's going to say to them, and when, I, when, I, when you, you say you believe in me, but when it's time for you to be arrested, uh, you'll all forsake me. And then he says, but there's, you're going to have such joy. Now, how do those fit together? How does all this suffering fit together? How do the difficult times fit together? And he says, but your joy will be made full. He tells us that. You and I need this tremendously today. You can look at our world. You can look at our society. You can look at things and you can, and, and you can see the problems. And there's no denying some of them. And yet you and I are not meant to live sad, sorrowful, victimized lives. You and I have been called to live in victory and live in power. And Jesus gives us two promises today, each one saying, I will give you joy, and you will walk in joy. Amen? Here we go. I'll start at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the, wor and, but the world will rejoice, meaning because I'm going to be crucified and they think they've got me. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Then he gives an illustration. He says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. So he says, look, this, what you're going through, what we're going through is a, is a season of sorrow. It is a, a difficult thing, but... What's coming on the other side of it is so good, you're going to forget the difficulties. You're going to forget these times. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again. Will you say that? I will see you again. 
and your heart will rejoice. Say that. And no one will take your joy away from you. Say that. And no one will take your joy away from you. Then he goes on. He says, in, in that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, say in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Say in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your what? Your joy may be made full, filled up. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. The word he uses is paroimeos, and it, it means that which is beside the road. He uses illustrations from things he passes and things he sees. So if he passes a wheat field, he'll talk about a farmer sowing wheat or something like that. So he says, I've been talking to you using these parables, these illustrations. He says, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I don't say to you that you, I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Then, he, then I, I don't have this part. I'll just read 28 because I'll, I'll mention another time. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world and I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. That's like a creedal statement, isn't it? It's amazing. Father, open it. Here we go. The secret to joy. If you want to know how you're doing spiritually, all you have to do is answer one simple question. Do I have joy? If I'm full of fear, there is no joy. If I harbor bitterness towards someone... There is no joy. If I grieve the Holy Spirit by saying or doing something harmful to another, there is no joy. If I allow an addiction to control me or follow after the passions of my flesh, there is no joy. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Yeah. But when my faith is strong, when I'm at peace with others, when my spirit is in control of my flesh and my thoughts, the whole world looks different. I can laugh again. I want to be with people. I make plans for the future. I dream about great possibilities. I'm glad to be alive. So it's not hard to understand why the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm having you say a lot of stuff, but say that too. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. Because when I'm joyful, I feel energized. Do you? I want to do something, heal something, change something. But when my joy is gone, life becomes hard. I, uh, I read some of a book that uh, was, was given to me recently. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting book. It has all of the different prophecies about the, the United States, and, and, and they're all bad, I can tell you. And uh, so that we're looking at the country and, you know, the situation here. And the author comes to a conclusion. He says, do we have hope for America? And his, his answer is no. And he says, some of, these, some of these pastors say they do, but they have to say that because they're pastors. And, 
it is good, I find, to leave people with hope, you know. <laughs> it's a little grim when we have none. And I know I need it. Um, but, he, but his conclusion is, there's, you know, we, we've, we've sort of passed the tipping point, and it's all over but the shout. And, and uh, he said, the one thing we can look forward to is the rapture. Well, that, that doesn't give me a lot of comfort, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to get raptured, so are you if I'm alive when he comes. Uh, hallelujah. But uh, between now and then, what about this? And uh, as you look at it all, if you look with a natural mind, and you just start playing out the world situations and the problems and the, the, you know, the ecology and the, everything else, you can get real sour and real frightened. And, and the Lord doesn't say, no, no, everything's going to be fine. But he does say this. He says, you're going to walk in great joy. And how am I going to do that? How are you going to do that? He says there's two ways. He said, first of all, you're going to see me again. And I will be with you always. You will never be alone. Say, I'm, I will never be alone. He means that. The Lord Jesus is with us. Nothing we will walk through will ever be alone. The second thing it says is you're going to have this access to the Father in prayer that is absolutely stunning. Whatever you ask in my name, and we got to figure out what that means, and we will. That's, we're going to look at that. But if whatever you ask for in my name, whatever, you will receive it. No questions asked. The Father will give you what you ask and you are going to walk in miracles. You're going to walk in the, in the power of God and answered prayer that will fill you with joy. You follow this? There's a way to walk with God in which you're literally in two worlds. You're seeing this one, but you're seeing another one all the, the whole time through it. I read years ago, and I don't, don't ask me for this article. I, I think I have it, uh, but it's in one of the, I've got a big filing cabinet in the garage, and I won't find it for years. So I'm not going looking for it. But it was an article about a, a, a charismatic group of believers in Nicaragua during the Sandinista Revol Revolution, during the war. And uh, a very dangerous time. People are, people are just getting killed left and right. And, and it was a, it was all of this uh, fighting between groups. And, and, this, and this group of people, were, their only hope was to walk in the Spirit, to do what the Holy Spirit told them to do. So what they did was uh, they just began to pray and say, God, what do you want us to do? And the Lord says, I want you to all to move out of town. I don't remember what city they were in. I want you to move out into the country, and I want you to be in a community in the country. So out they go, 75 of them, if I recall. They're out in the country somewhere. And then they said just daily they would wake up and say, God, guide us, be with us, provide for us, help us. They went through the entire uh, Sandinista Revolutionary War, that whole thing. They were... They were machine gunned a couple of times. In fact, one time the, the, the entire van was just riddled with bullets. They went through one thing after another. At the, at the, by the end of the war, not one person was killed. In fact, they were provided for. They, uh, one child was hurt a bit by going out and grabbing something, uh, but not severely. And the child was, 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 was healed. I mean, it was all right. But that was the only injury. Now, how do you go through a war? How do you get your, your vehicle machine gunned? How do you go through all of that? 
and be saved. There is a, a leading of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is why when, we, when I talk to you about needing to walk in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and learning to hear from the Spirit, you must not say, well, that's for, I, for other kinds of people. That's for spiritual people. This is for you. This will save your life. This will, this will be your protection. You're going to be hanging on to the Spirit of God like a, like, a, like, like a person hanging on to a rope as we go through the years ahead. And he will not fail you. He will not fail you. You have access to something others don't have. This is one of the reasons. They mentioned the, uh, we're having the, the seminar coming up in November for doing what Jesus did. Do you know why we're doing that? I felt deeply led of the Lord that there's not enough of, the, of our church who can freely move in the things of the Spirit. And so I began to teach the book because I was just, it was, there was an urgency. The Lord said to me, start now. Just start teaching your staff and whoever will come. So three uh, Thursday mornings a month, uh, I have uh, from 9.30 to 11, they're over there in M34, uh, after the, right after the staff meeting at 9.30, we, we, uh, I just start teaching through the book, doing what Jesus did. And I'm just, just, what am I doing? We're just talking about the life of the Spirit, just going through it. Now we're going to have in November three days, and it's an intensive. It's an entire program that's being done by a team that goes, does this all over the world. They're a young team. I just met their leader. Boy, he's a sharp young man. And uh, they, they, they said, well, don't put us in a hotel. We're happy to sleep on the floor of the church. And, well, I want to put them in a hotel or whatever. But, but you know, they're, they're humble, gracious people. All right, well, they're coming to teach us, how do you lead somebody to Christ, really? How do you lead them into the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do you hear from God? That's one of the key lessons how do you hear from God? How do, you, how do you pray for the sick? How do you cast out devils? How do you move in the spirit? Why are we doing this? I am not doing this for entertainment. I am doing this because I believe you and I need to be fully equipped in the days we live in. If never before, you do need it now. We need to be able to walk in the things of God and hear from the Lord and let him guide us and direct us. It will be our joy. It'll be our joy. You watch people change. You watch lives change. You watch divine appointments. You watch all these blessings. That gives you joy no matter what's going on around you. All right. Having just warned his disciples that they were going to be severely persecuted, and within moments of telling them that they would fail miserably to stand with him when he was arrested, Jesus talked to them about joy. What a strange topic to place in the middle of all this sorrow. Or is it? First, he said, they would feel grief as they watched him suffer, but that their grief wouldn't last. They would soon feel joy. He compared what they were about to go through to the emotions of a mother might, may experience in childbirth. She endures pain during labor, but then joy after the child is born. He said that joy can be so strong, it causes her to forget the suffering. He then told them that it would be that way with them too. Even if they did not understand what was happening as they went through the turmoil that lay ahead, they were about to witness the most remarkable event in all of human history. A brutally executed man would come back to life in a glorious immortal body. After that, all doubts about life after death or whether or not Jesus was truly the son would be gone. They would receive a gift of joy that would be with them for the rest of their life. Can you imagine what it does to that group? 
They're, they're these, these disciples, and they have watched Jesus crucified. Now, only John stood by the cross, John and four women. But the rest of them were kind of hanging back in the crowd, looking, you know, peering from a distance, uh, you know, frightened and confused and all. But they watched it. They watched this horrible crucifixion. And, and I'll tell you, when we, we, you, you can't under, underestimate that, that spear. The, the, the thing was put in, under his rib cage and slit his heart in half. That's what they did. Just wonk right through there. Just clean as it could be. And then three days later, he stands in their midst, and they can touch him. He eats fish. He's real. He's solid. What would that do for you? I mean, how about your questions about life after death? Those are gone. How, 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 about, how about your questions about is Jesus really the Savior? That's over with. These, these disciples had in them a confidence, men and women, had a confidence in them that he, this is real. And did, did they live it out? They so lived it out. Every one of them, except John, died violently. Tradition tells us they tried to boil John in oil, and he didn't boil. And so they left him alone and put him on an island. You know, if, I, if he wouldn't boil, I'd, I'd leave him alone, period. <laughs> I wouldn't even put him on Patmos. I'm just going to say, you know, hey, what do you want? <laughs> not one of them, not one disciple recanted their faith. Do you understand that? This is an historical fact that even, even secular uh, historians have to deal with. There was never a flinch. No one said, hey, 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 we made this up. You know, you know that's, I don't want to die. Not one of them. Everyone died boldly. Every one of them. Peter, it said, died when they, uh, the, 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 when they were crucifying him in the Roman circus. He said, turn me upside down. I'm not worthy to, be, to die like my Lord. I think I've seen Peter's grave. I actually, when I was in college, we had a, I was with a Lutheran college, and we visited, and the, the, the Vatican allowed us because we were Lutherans. If we were Catholics, they wouldn't let us under there because we'd take mementos but we were I'm serious that was the reason yeah but underneath St. Peter's is an ancient graveyard the whole thing is built on top of a graveyard and I've been down and seen it and I've seen the grave and then all these Christian graves arrayed around it now it doesn't have the name Peter on it but it's probably Peter he died there do you know that just this last June there was a, a gathering at that very place, a Circus Maximus. 70,000 people for the 50th anniversary of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. And the Pope stood up and he said, I speak in tongues every day and so should you. Our, our president was invited to that. I just talked to him. I just confirmed this this week. I said, I heard this. And then somebody else said, no, he's opposed to it. And I said, what's the truth? He, says, I, he said, I can't believe it. He said, I was one seat back. One, one row back, one seat away. And, and he said, I, he stood up, and, there were, and in front of 70,000 people in the Circus Maximus, the very place Peter died, he said, I speak in tongues every day, and so should you. Look, God is at work. God is at work. Not one of our, those disciples flinched. This, this faith of ours, people, is real. And it filled them with joy, and it should fill us with joy as well. Jesus didn't stop there. 
He went on to tell them that they would be given another source of joy, one which would fill up whatever was lacking in their hearts. He said they would see amazing answers to prayer. Whenever they asked the Father for what he told them to ask for, the Father would gladly give it to them. And watching God miraculously answered, answer those prayers would lift anyone's mood. So regardless of the difficulties they were about to face, their lives would be marked by joy. Now here's a promise that you and I need to learn how to receive because Jesus didn't promise us an easy life. What he said was we would never be alone. And he would give us such authority in prayer that we could walk through whatever lies ahead full of joy. We need that, so let's try to understand what he was saying. I'm taking you back to the text just so it's really in you. So next time you read it, it makes sense to you. You know what you're reading. As we noted earlier, by using the phrase in that day, Jesus was pointing forward in time to that new season of ministry, which would begin after he ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit on his disciples. He's looking forward when he says after that day, or in that day, he's looking forward to Pentecost and beyond. Does that make sense? To the church, to the spirit-filled church, the, to people who now have everything that he's provided for them. He, he was looking forward to the season, that season when he said, and in that day you will not question me about anything. In his, the past, his disciples had often been confused and had repeatedly asked him foolish questions. But he said that confusion would cease when the spirit of truth came to dwell within them. He would empower their minds and guide their learning until they were able to comprehend all spiritual truth. And he does that for you too. You see it? Now that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth has been given to us, he opens our understanding. We, we, we have a capacity and a teacher within us to understand spiritual truth accurately and deeply. You do, I do, we all do. This is his gift to us. Not only would they walk in a new level of spiritual revelation, but they would also be given a new level, level of privilege in prayer. Answered prayer, we become a great source of joy. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. The key to understanding this promise is the phrase, in my name. Jesus did not say, whatever you ask the Father, he will give to you. He said, whatever you ask in my name, he will give to you. So we need to understand what it means to ask for something in Jesus' name. Thankfully, moments earlier, he had said this. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it shall happen to you. So to be in Jesus means to walk in careful obedience to him. It means to have the same responsive relationship with him as he had with his father. Does this make sense? Look, this is so found, simple actually. How we miss it, I don't know, but I did too. Look, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do. In other words, he's constantly in a spiritually responsive mode. He's listening, watching for the, what the Holy Spirit is leading him to do. He's following the Father's lead, right? He says, that's all I do. So everything I've done is that way. What on earth would make us think that we would function any differently? But he says, in this case, he says, now you're going to follow me. I'm your head. I'm the Lord of the church. You will listen to me, and you will say what I say. 
you will watch me and you will do what I do. I will lead you. You and I are not loose cannons. We are not free agents. We are representatives of Jesus. We are his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears. We are his body, but he is the? Yes, he is, and he hasn't given that up. And so the whole process for you and me, here's this, he's telling us a secret. He's saying, when you pray in my name, when you pray what I've told you to pray, when you pray what I've guided you to pray, when you are praying because I'm leading you and I'm directing you and you're following me, everything you ask for, you will get. Wow. How do we do that? At all times, he was the father's representative carrying out the father's assignment. But in the future, his disciples would enter into that same sort of relationship with him. So in the midst of carrying out his assignment, Whatever they need, whenever they needed something, whether it be guidance, wisdom, provision, protection, or a mountain moved, they could bring that need to the Father in prayer, and he would give it to them. Then he added, up until now, you did not ask for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive so that your joy may be filled up. That's the word. His cross and resurrection would make it possible for his disciples to have the same access to the Father in prayer that he had. Picture that. The Father will answer you as quickly as he would answer his son. Would he answer Jesus' prayers? Did he ever say no to Jesus? No. And Jesus says, now this is going to be your prayer relationship with the Father as well. That privilege had not been theirs in the past. But it was a gift that they would soon receive. And when it did arrive, they would be given such amazing answers to prayers, their heart would be filled with joy. By connecting prayer with joy, Jesus was encouraging them. He was assuring them that answered prayer is exhilarating. It removes doubt. It confirms God's love. It quiets fear. It boldly announces God is present and working with us. Jesus had and would again warn his disciples that they would be persecuted, but their future would not be full of sorrow because they would be walking in a level of answered prayer that would make even the darkest times joyful. His cross and resurrection would remove all barriers between them and the Father. They would be able to boldly come to the Father by placing their faith in his Son, and he would gladly receive them as beloved children. They would pray and he would personally listen to their prayers. Jesus said, in that day, in my name, that's exactly the way it's phrased, in that day, in my name, you will ask me, me, in prayer, and I do not tell you that I will question the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. And then he uses the word phileo, rather than agape, as a friend, because you have loved me as a friend, and believe that I came from beside God. As friends of Jesus... And as people who believed that he was the divine son of God who had left heaven and come to earth, they would be loved by the father and welcomed to bring their needs to him. You remember his statement about friends? He says, you are my friends if you what? Do what I tell you. Remember this? Yeah. And he, he says, I call you friends. Therefore, I hide nothing from you. I will reveal to you everything. Everything the Father has given to me, I will reveal to you. You are my friends. That's a precious word when he uses it. Two sources of joy. It didn't simply matter. It simply didn't matter that they were going to be to experience hardship. The gifts he would give them would lift them out of their sorrow. 
First, he said, I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes that joy from you. That means you'll never be alone. Say, I'll never be alone. Isn't that precious? The most difficult moments, if you'll just stop a moment and say, Lord Jesus, where are you? He'll just be there with you. He'll reveal himself. I will always be with you. And his second promise was this. Until now, you did not ask me for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be filled up. In other words, you're, not, you're going to see answers to prayer that are so amazing. You won't be able to be sad. You'll be constantly rejoicing in God. The first promise comes by learning to worship. The second promise comes by learning to pray. Today, let's look more closely at the second promise in my name. As we've seen, to, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray what he tells us to pray. But how do we discover his will? How do we know what to ask the Father? This is a big question, and large books have been written to try to answer that question, but I think it's easier than people often make it. Once a person learns how to listen to the Spirit, then after we determine his will, we need to present that request to the Father in Jesus' name. And finally, we need to learn to endure in prayer until the answer is released. Let's consider each step. Discover Jesus' will. Would you say that? Answered prayer starts with asking Jesus to reveal his will in the matter. What does he want us to do? What does he want to give us? That's a very different question from what do we want him to give us. In order to be able to ask that question, we have to start by emptying out our own desires. Then we must let the Holy Spirit direct our thoughts. This involves prayerful listening and sorting through the different voices that may pop up. Have you noticed when you go to say, God, what do you want? You, it's, it's like scanning down the dial on a radio. <laughs> you know, all these different voices can be popping up. You know. See, we, there's, a, there's a process of, of waiting through that and of, of listening carefully. Depending on how personal the matter is to us, and how passionately we want a particular answer, this step can take a short or a long time. But we must not skip this step. It's so easy for me to hear God's will for you. Piece of cake. God, what do you want? Okay, he wants you to just suffer, you know, and go the hard way. Hallelujah. When it comes to me, that's a whole other matter. And the more passionate I feel about it, the more, the closer it is to home, the more I care about it. Wow, those are the questions that are really hard for me to unload my own thoughts and have his. You understand? But I have to do that. And this is the step that gets skipped. Don't, people, we, we just say, well, what do I want? You know, just toss off these prayers. There's so much verbiage going up to heaven. It just must, must be really hard on God. You know, all these words, all this stuff is just flying out. Whatever we're thinking, whatever's on the top of our blah, 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 blah. You know, off, off it goes like that. And the Lord's saying, I want you to I start by, it's in my name you're going to pray. That means as his representative. That means because he sent you to do it. You're working for him. This is his assignment. So you're coming to the Father asking him for what Jesus told you to ask him for. That's important. Well, how do I find that? First thing I have to do is set aside my own issues. 
There's a quieting of my heart, a quieting of my flesh, a quieting of my fears. I mean, there's so much that goes on emotionally in me. All of us, when, when I come to this, I've got to work that through. I find fasting and prayer can help me with that. And do not be impressed with me. I only have a late lunch is what I call fasting. But I, 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 so it's not, I don't go on some great fast. But I will quiet my flesh and I'll spend time before him. And it's an amazing thing when I do that. Uh, I did it this week. And I'll, 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 somewhere in the afternoon or whatever, I'll, I'll generally stop and I'll say, all right, Lord, um, I fasted and I'm, I'm planning on, on breaking that fast. But before I do, I don't want to waste the fast. What do you want me to ask for? What should I pray for? And every time, the most interesting things come to mind. Things I would not think, was not thinking of. And I find myself praying it with an enormous boldness. Because this isn't my stuff. This isn't my agenda. It's not my checklist. I'm just praying what he gives me to pray. And, and, and so I'm just standing there and I'm praying these things. And can, you can tell when a prayer gets traction. You can tell that just got heard. Something just got moved. I can feel it. Right? Yeah, this is important. And, and it starts with the confidence. The, you can't boldly approach the Father if you aren't sure of the will of, will, will, will of God. You know? And it doesn't count, this business of going, throw up anything you want to say, and then if it be thy will. That's like the, the letters that get addressed to occupant. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's just, no, that doesn't, that doesn't count. So there's a, there's, a, there's a place where we pray, we pray through. Look, um, I went through a process as, as, as a pastor of this church where I had to learn how to lead. And one of the biggest things I had to learn to do is stop trusting my own mind. I used to kind of follow the pattern. I had a, I had a desk, and I, I, it wasn't my, I, I, it was there when I got here, but there was this big desk, and then there was chairs in front of them, and people would come, and they'd, say, they'd sit in front of me, and they'd present their, their needs to me, and they'd sort of say, you know, you know what should we do? And I would, well, <laughs> and I would try to answer good answers. I, would, I wasn't trying to make dumb answers. I was trying to do good things. I was trying to do the right thing. I, was, I would often, oh, God, help me, you know. And I'm, I'm thinking away as to what to do. I made one stupid decision after another. One mistake after another. I, I hurt people. I damaged the church. What, what was I doing? Leaning on my own understanding. Trying to do the right thing, see? It's, you often think, well, if I'm trying to do the wrong thing, maybe that's leaning on your understanding. No, leaning on your own understanding is relying on your own brain. And so I, somebody, one of the staff... A uh, young man gave me a book, and he said, Pastor, I love you dearly, but you ought to read this. And, um, <laughs> and uh, he's apologized several times over the years, and I said, don't you dare apologize. That was a huge moment for me. And, and he gave me a book by Patrick Lencioni called uh, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And uh, Patrick Lencioni actually is a Christian, but he has a business group in, in San Francisco. Um, but the book is, is, is a simple book, but, but it, what it does is say, talk about how to, how, to make, how to lead. And it says you need to bring to the table other people who, are, who, are, who are, have the right heart, the right abilities, you know, and, and are involved in ministry. Bring them to the table and talk together. Well, what I did is I got rid of that desk. I changed the, I asked Mike Isles if he'd make me a, a beautiful um, 
a roundish table. And then I got a whole bunch of chairs that are all identical chairs. And I put them all around this thing. I'm changing the furniture. I'm changing the very theology of the way we make decisions here. And then I put, we put the, I, I began to meet with, Lord showed us how to find directors and, 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 and do that. And then every week, every week for, for, for a couple of hours, we will get together. And then sometimes longer than that. And we just sit and, and, I, and we'll discuss things. Here's what I find. So often we'll have a situation and my mind evaluates it. And I say, well, the answer is either going to be A or B. It'll be one of the two. I mean, it's got to be one of the two. That's the only options there are. And then we get into this discussion. And sometimes they are what are called fierce conversations, where, where, where passions come up and emotions. And actually, we're not afraid of that. That's part of the process. If, if, if you really care about something, you might, get, you might get emotional about it. So we'll have conversations, and we'll have dialogue. We'll work through it. And we're working through to un unanimity. We're working through it to unanimity, not a vote. When is, and, we, and, you, and you dialogue through it. And, and what happens in the process of praying and listening and waiting? Sometimes we'll even just say, well, we don't know. Let's meet again, again and come at this again and listen again. But when you do get it, all of a sudden what you find is usually the answer is option C. You didn't even see that. I didn't see it. And the right answer I didn't even know was on the map. I didn't know it existed. I didn't see it at all. I, that, that the right person or the right need or the right whatever it is. I didn't even see it, let alone be able to make it. But there it is. And once you see it, you go, oh, yeah. The quality of leadership, the decision quality of leadership for this congregation went up 110%. I'm not exaggerating, and you have experienced the blessing of it. And it comes out of listening for the mind of the Lord and putting aside leaning on my own understanding. You follow this? This is how you pray. This process of learning to listen and wait on God until there's that resonance inside that says, this is it. The Lord showed me his mind. I know his heart. And then you boldly, number two, you boldly come and you ask the Father. Say, ask the Father. Jesus was very clear about to whom we address our prayers. He said we are to go straight to the Father. This does not mean that we don't pray to Jesus. We do. As our Lord and as the head of the church, we constantly seek his presence and his will. But Jesus teaches us that our Father is our source. And that we are to present to him our requests. And we are to do so full of confidence that he will answer us in his way, and in his time. Jesus literally said we will always receive an answer when we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Is this making sense? Say so step number one, I've got to decide and hear and wait through. What do you do when you don't know? In, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says uh, the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. And then he says why we're weak. It's very enlightening. He says, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. Why am I weak? I don't know how to pray as I ought. Why are you weak? You don't know how to pray as you ought. You following this? Because if we connect with this and pray accurately, there's a tremendous strength that comes. So, so Paul says, but the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. 
And what, how does he do it? With the, the, the Greek word is semion, with groanings or sighs, it's translated, too deep for words. And whether or not he's specifically speaking about praying in the Spirit, he's certainly describing it. It is what happens in praying in the Spirit. And so when, often when, you, when you're stuck with a thing and say, I have no idea what to pray here. I don't know what to pray, Lord. How do I pray right now for a team that's clear across the world and it, in a medical mission and possibly in a dangerous situation? You can go into the Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, would you pray for us? Would you intercede for us? And go right into the Spirit. I'm going to give you an example in a minute of a man who did exactly that. All right, number three. Pray through. Would you say pray through? Prayer is not usually a simple process in which we merely ask for something and God automatically gives it. Have you seen this? In practice, there is often a spiritual struggle associated with prayer. And if a person doesn't know, know that, they may find their prayer goes unanswered. They may become disillusioned. Here's an old phrase that I've found helpful in guiding the way I pray. Praying through to the assurance, say that. Praying through, say it again, I want it to really stick in you. Praying through to the assurance. It's an old Pentecostal term. A mature prayer warrior learns to keep praying until there comes an inner peace that God has heard the prayer or the obstacle to the answer has been removed. Using the language of that old phrase, a person must pray until they feel an assurance that they have what they have asked of God. Now, of course, God hears our words the moment we pray them. Actually, he knows our needs before we ask. Yet there are often hindering forces that need to be pressed aside in order to receive our answer. That's where enduring prayer comes in. We aren't convincing God to act. We're involved in a form of spiritual warfare that we may not even understand at the time. But at some point, we will sense that obstacle lift and experience an assurance that our request is answered. How many know what that feels like? Not only do we decide what to ask and then boldly ask the Father, but the asking process is often longer than just enunciating it. It's a process of praying it un through until you feel the release. You feel a burden lift. You'll feel uh, like God's heard you. There's moments when you get it right away. There's moments when it could take weeks. Well, you're just, you're just, you're just, you're, you're, and you say, what is this? Let me tell you what it's not. It isn't God saying, well, just keep talking, and if you talk a whole lot, I may, you may move my, my heart, and I'll give you your answer. A, he knew your need before you asked, and yet notice you still have to ask. You have been given an authority on planet Earth by God in the very act of creation. And you must employ that authority. You can't run away from it. You can't be a, a sort of child who says, I'm just passive here, God. You're the big father. You do it all. You can't play that game. He, he's calling you upward to be children. Children of God. His sons and his daughters. He's giving you authority. He's raising you up. You must rise up as, as a mature uh, prayer warrior 
and, and, and work in God. So, all right, so, you, so you, you're finding his will. But then there's this praying through until you feel in your heart. And you'll know when it comes. It just, you'll, you'll have that sense like, man, we just got it. He's, he's doing that. I can sense it. All right? This planet is not a stage where God is controlling everything. God is in overall control, but the human, he has given free will. And there is an enemy. And you see, in America, we have a problem because we had so much of that predestination taught in early Christianity in America. And so it, you don't even have to be a Christian to be a, to be a predestinational uh, thinker. You can have a sports star get up any time and go, oh, I think God's in control of everything. You know, really? Boy, he's doing a lousy job, isn't he? Isn't God doing a bad job if he's controlling everything? And, and what an evil God he must be. Huh? I mean, you cannot follow that line of thinking down the road and not realize that it, it, it turns God into an evil, evil person. He is not. He is good. Good. Whoa, he is good. Good. Whoa, and he is. He is so good. You and I are just barely understanding the depth of his purity, the depth of his kindness, the depth of his saving heart. He's amazing. And yet, in order for, to have children, he had to give freedom. There's no such thing as love without freedom. You can't be forced to love. And there is no such thing as goodness without freedom. Goodness is a choice. It's not an action. It isn't, you can force somebody to do the right thing. That's not good. Good is when you choose in the face of temptation to do that which is right. He had to allow us to rebel if he was going to have children. And this is all about children who will be with him and know him forever. In the process, all sorts of things go on. There's an enemy here, a spiritual enemy. You are on a battlefield. You are not on a stage where God is pulling strings on like a puppet show. You're on a battlefield. And so when you go to prayer, you are not convincing God. Once, once the Lord showed you what he wants, you are fighting with God to bring his will into this broken situation, into this needy situation. You're standing. And things happen in the spiritual realm we just don't know. We don't know what's going on. Daniel had one of those things. Remember that? He says, God says, I heard you three weeks ago. But I had to, my angel had to, had, to, had to go to war for you before this could happen. We don't know what's going on. But you'll know it in your heart when it's there. Uh, let me give you an example of someone doing this. I was actually had breakfast with the author of this uh, uh, last week. It's Jerry Stott. And he, Jerry and Julie are the uh, area missionaries for the South Pacific uh, for Foursquare, and uh, I was with some others and uh, went down just for a day and uh, or so. But uh, I got his book, and I was in the airport for a long time, and I, so I, I let's read it, you know. So I start reading from the back. I don't know what's the matter with me, but I do that <laughs> at times. He says this, Leslie fell asleep, exhausted from hours of ministry in Papua New Guinea. This is Leslie Kegel. Leslie Kegel is the president of um, the Foursquare Church in Sri Lanka. Do you know where Sri Lanka is? It's that large island just off the east side of, of, the, of the tip of, of India. And uh, it's, it's, it's uh, we have, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 churches in Sri Lanka. It's an amazing move of God that has taken place there. It's a, it's a Hindu and Buddhist and very, very violent. 
Uh, in fact, we've, we've had a whole bunch of our pastors killed, uh, churches burned. In fact, Leslie's in the United States to save his life right now. Um, he's, 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 he's the president by, by uh, uh, extension because it's too dangerous for him to be there right now. Um, but uh, they move in power, healing, del- deliverance of demons. I talked to one pastor who went down there, and he said his bed was so shaken he was thrown out of it by demonic assault in one place they went. So it's really warfare. It's the real thing. It's the book of Acts. Anyway, it says, Leslie fell asleep, exhausted from hours of ministry in Papua New Guinea. When the Lord woke him at 3 a.m. to pray, he resisted. The flesh was winning. But because Dr. Leslie Kegel, a nation changer with an apostolic ministry, is a man of God, he relented. See, that's how real men of God is. Okay. Well, Well, actually, according to Leslie, also a humble and honest man, it took the Lord a second time, literally pushing him out of bed before he would pray. So he got another kind of shaking. And pray he did, mostly in tongues, for an hour until the Lord brought a person's name to him. He prayed for this person in tongues for another hour until the burden lifted. Until what? Huh? There you go. Two days later in Sydney, Australia, Leslie was speaking in church when a person came up to him after service. This person introduced himself, but Leslie knew exactly who he was. I've been praying for you in tongues. What's going on? The, the man told him he had separated from his wife and that tomorrow the divorce would become official. Leslie encouraged him, albeit briefly, don't worry, God's in control, the burden has left me. That evening, Leslie spoke at another church, and his topic was forgiveness. While speaking about bitterness and how it will destroy you, a woman rose up from her chair and left the church. Leslie thought she was either angry or resisting the spirit. But after the service, she explained to Leslie that she had to call her husband immediately and tell him that she was not going to divorce him. She had forgiven him. She asked him to forgive her, all because God spoke to her during Leslie's message. They were reconciled. How do you do that? (laughs) Through praying in the spirit, Leslie had great faith to trust the Lord for this man's situation. Enough faith to speak to this person in a way some of us might even consider dismissive. In Leslie's heart, the battle had been won the night before. It was just a matter of God's timing. Isn't it joyful to live like that? Do you see this? When we walk like this, when we walk in the spirit, when we see God moving, it's joyful, people. No matter what's happening around us, we live in a different world. Living in two worlds. A person who walks in the spirit is living in two worlds at the same time. Problems look solvable. Mountains look movable because that person doesn't see only the problem or the mountain. They also see an active, powerful God working with them. When a need arises, they begin by identifying Jesus' will in the matter, and then they present their request to the Father. And finally, they pray until they receive an assurance that their prayer has been answered. So life for that person becomes an adventure, not an ordeal. No matter what is happening around them, they're not a victim, they're the victor. Yes, they see, the, see problems, and they probably understand the seriousness of those problems more clearly than most people. But a problem is not all they see. They also see a spiritual world that's as real as the physical world, and they constantly experience proof of that fact. 
Sooner or later, their prayers are always answered. Their world is full of divine appointments. They survive on divine provision. They trust themselves to divine protection. God becomes so real for these people that even the fear of death becomes greatly reduced. You must start praying to see answered prayer. Without answered prayer, your faith will decline. This process is essential for you and me. It's not just, I must pray and see God answer my prayers for my faith to grow. If I don't have that, God becomes more and more distant. I become more and more frightened, more and more overwhelmed because I'm living with a powerless God. He must be powerful to you. You must see his power in your family. You must see his power and, and work through you in your life. Then your heart swells. You feel strong in faith. The whole world looks different and you're glad to be alive. Do you follow this? This is foundational for us. This is the secret Jesus was explaining to his disciples that evening. With complete openness, he described the hardships that were ahead of them. But then he said that those would be joyful times. They weren't going to be miserably, miserably hang on until it was over. They were going to be full of joy. Why? Because they would see him again. And he would always be with them. And because his cross and resurrection were going to give them a level of answered prayer that would change their entire attitude about life. In effect, he said, don't focus on the trials that are coming. Look at the gifts I'm giving you. I'm giving you a wonderful future full of joy. And he's given the same gift to us. Would you stand with me? Blessed be God. Blessed be the Lord. Oh, Lord, we do thank you and we do praise you. We rejoice in what you have given to us. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. I mean, just, that's just, just once again, the first thing you're going to do is what? You're going to ask God for his will. You're going to ask Jesus for his will. Uh, precisely. You're going to ask Jesus for his will. The second thing you're going to do is what? You're going to boldly ask the Father. Are you with me on this? And the third thing you're going to do is continue to pray. Pray through to the assurance. You're going to learn to pray until you sense your heart lift. How important is it that you see an answer? You know, I, I've had the Lord challenge me on this. I am not. I am not on a, I am. I am learning, but I am a learner right with you in terms of prayer. Lord, I'll say how important this matter is. Lord, that this, this salvation, that this deliverance, that this, this miracle is so desperately needed. And yet I'll toss off prayers or I'll mention it to him. Have I done exactly what I said here? What is being taught us? Did I seek his will clearly till I know how to pray? You know, you'll often get a word of knowledge in the process. He'll start showing you stuff, amazing stuff as you pray. Yeah, there's prophetic goes right along with intercessory prayer. You'll, you'll start getting more and more in the spirit. Well, God will show you just exactly what to pray for and reveal stuff to you. And then you ask the Father boldly. And then do I pray through? Do I care enough? Do I love enough? Do I believe enough and want it enough to actually get before the Lord and pray through? Would I do what Leslie Kegel just did? 
Would I get up in the middle of the night and pray in tongues till that burden left me? That's how men and women move mountains. This is what real... And look, it's doable, isn't it? It's not easy, but it's totally doable. There's not a person in this room. We couldn't do this. You can do it. I can do it. We can do this. We can pray like this. And we can see mountains moved. We can see these things. This is who we are. This is how we're going to enter the future, regardless of what the world does. This is how we're going to enter the future. Oh, Father, we love you. We come before you, and I sense, Lord, you are calling this family. You are calling me. You're calling all of us to be true prayer warriors. We ask you to put these lessons deep in us, to teach us, and then by faith, Lord God, thank you for the, for the, for the miracles, the answered prayer that we will see. We're already seeing to a measure that we're, seeing, we're going to see more. We praise you for this. And Lord, we just confess this, that our future is full of joy. We live in two worlds. We live in two worlds. Open our eyes. We will walk in the Spirit. Teach us that in Jesus' powerful name. If you are saying, I'm in, I will. As God shows me, I'm moving forward in this. Would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.